0: A couple things to note, as was mentioned in the announcements, we're going to have church at the park tonight. Uh, we meet at Lewis and Clark Park for whoever would like to, and we roast marshmallows and we have a, a devotional and, and and then invite people around the park to come and participate with us. And last time we did that, there was a number of kids and and uh, they came and played volleyball and, and ended up roasting marshmallows and who knows what kind of seeds are planted when we do that. So that's an opportunity to uh, to come and and hang out and just be a be a blessing tonight and so everybody's welcome if you'd like to do that six o'clock at lewis and clark park and also i just wanted to to mention that with the youth rally this last week there was a a number of people from out of town in different places just wanted me to pass along how much they appreciated that the efforts that we put forth to put the youth rally on and we had we had to change up because the weather several times uh, whatever our, our plan wasn't the schedule we had to change it up and boy the crew that we had we were just able to change it and walk through and, and just uh, put together something that, that we got a lot of responses from people saying that's thank you so much for doing this it's so good for our kids and I, our kids look forward to it every year and the transformation and, and the, that happens and the seeds that are planted right before the kids start school again is is great opportunities. So that's something that I think all of us can be proud of that we get to participate in So we're going to go into John. Uh, We're going to start in the book of Luke again this fall, uh, once we we get past Labor Day. And we'll finish up the book of Luke, because we've still got a little bit left from from going uh, with that last year. But I wanted to uh, spend just, this is an opportunity, this last few Sundays of the summer... To preach on some things that um, maybe we'll preach on, on something that'll, that'll lead us into our Bible classes on Wednesday night for the fall here coming up, but something that uh, something else that just provides an opportunity to for me to share some things out of my own studies that maybe not um, a part of a, a theme or or part of a series that is longer, but just things that have impacted me personally, and I hope that they do the same for you. And so something that happens in the book of John is Jesus says on, depends on who's counting, seven or eight different times, I am, and then he says something about himself, called the I am statements. And so when we talk about, when, we, when someone says I am, and then followed by something, or, or we, um, we do it ourselves, what we're doing is we're revealing something about us. For example... If uh, someone says, I am a Green Bay Packers fan, what does that tell us about them? (laughs) They're the best? (laughs) Oh, that's that's, What it does is it creates some conflict, doesn't it? Whether you like the Packers, if you like the Packers, you're on board with that. If you don't like the Packers, you're not on board with that, right? And so, what if someone says, I am a Grizz fan? What happens? (laughs) Again, more conflict, right? Yeah, that's, that's what it brings up. But we do that in all sorts of different areas of life. We say, if we say, I am an accountant, what is that telling us? It's telling people that we're talking to something about us, what we do for a living, what our training is. We do that with hobbies. If we say, I am a skier, it means that we probably like cold weather and we like it when it snows. And other people do not. Uh, that, that says something about us. If someone we're talking to says, I am a Buddhist, that changes our perception of them because we know that for them they're going to be very different than us and they don't hold Jesus as the son of god there's there's going to be some differences of understanding there there's all sorts of different ways that we present ourselves by saying i am this or i am that okay there is a jesus is going to share some of those this morning because whenever jesus says i am that is a time for us to be able to stop and pay attention because it means that he's sharing something with us. It's like he's saying, okay, wait a minute here, wait a minute. I want you to understand this. I want you to understand something very important here because I'm telling you something about myself that's important for you to know. Okay, so we're going to go into, starting in John chapter 6, verses 35, and I'm going to have to look back here because usually the, we have some technical difficulties in the back with the projector. But in John 6, 35, Jesus says something here. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 6 and we see something here. What happens at the very beginning of John chapter 6? Look in your Bibles there. What's the first thing that happens? You notice John chapter 6, what happens? Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. Gets in front of these people, there's not enough to eat, he breaks the bread, breaks the fish, and he feeds all of these people. And they um, eat, and they're satisfied, and Jesus uses it as a teaching opportunity to teach them something about himself. So that's one, opportun- one thing that we see right there, right before this. And also, if you read up a few verses right above this, what happens is some of the Jews come to him and say, Jesus, we'd love to see a sign. God showed us a sign years ago by providing manna in the wilderness that came down from heaven that we were able to eat. And so why don't you provide a sign? And Jesus says, he responds with this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. How many of you can think back, if you're given ten seconds right now, to a great meal that you've had recently. Don't think too long, okay? It's still a little bit till lunch here. But think about a time when you ate and you were satisfied and you were filled up. Just think about how good that feels. What your favorite meal is, it's something that just fills you up. Think about this from a spiritual perspective. What Jesus is telling the people that are listening here, he said, okay, okay, that bread that you ate, that I broke, that I, I fed to you, that is, uh, you know, that fills up for a time. The manna that was in the desert, that filled up for a time. But think about this. Think about me. I am the bread that really fills you up for eternity. That fills you up completely. And Jesus is sharing with them that he does the same thing. What Jesus does is Jesus, if we have him in our life, he fills us up with peace. All that fruit of the Spirit, He gives us a contentment that we cannot find any other way in life. And how many of you can relate to that? How many of you have been through life at different times where you're always trying to find the next thing, the next thing, the next thing is just not working? But when you come in contact with Jesus, you realize this is what I've been looking for. This is it. And that's what Jesus is telling these people here is I am the bread of life. I'm the one that is ultimately going to fill you up. If we fast forward to John chapter 8, verses 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Um, How many of you like flashlights? Yes, I love flashlights, especially when there's no full moon outside. And I don't know how many times that I've got up in the night and thought, I'm going to go get a drink of milk or something like that. And I think, well, you see where this is going, right? Well, I could turn on a light, but no, I know my way around the house. And I'm walking, and this doesn't happen near as much as when, when a, I was a few years ago and we had kids that were younger. But I remember getting up and I remember walking through the living room and the lights being off and no light on and walking through. And do you know, how many of you know what a Lego feels like underneath a bare foot? Yeah, okay. It hurts, yeah. You feel that, you step on it and and you hit the ground or, or you jump and holler and hoop or, or whatever else. Or you just feel that pain, like, oh no, that's... No, that, that's not what I meant. That's not what I wanted to do. I did not know that was there, and it's, and it's painful. Yeah, we have that. And without Jesus, what happens is we walk through life day by day with obstacles continuing coming up in our life that we can't see them because we don't know what to look for. We don't know what these obstacles are. We don't know why it's bad to fall into the sinful nature. And what Jesus is telling his people here that are listening here, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, if we got Jesus, and we know what Jesus is all about, it's like this flashlight that goes ahead of us and prepares the path for us. We know what light is, we know what darkness is, but if we don't have Jesus, we don't know that. And we stumble through life, and we end up in in all these painful situations where we receive a lot of heartache. And Jesus is trying to help us avoid all that. He's saying, I'm this light, I'm this light that guides your path. Hey, that's something that you really need to know about me. He continues on in chapter 10. So that's that's the second one, the second of, of Jesus' I am statements. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Okay. Um, how many of you have had sheep at some point in time? Some of you have had sheep? Yeah. I haven't. We had goats. And that was a horrible, terrible experience. If you ever not want to have goats, come talk to me, and I'll tell you why not. Hey. But you look at what Jesus says here and put in the context of, of the people to whom he was speaking. Shepherds would bring sheep out during the day, find them pasture, and then bring them back into the pen at night. And so the shepherd would lead the sheep in and out of, of that pen and in, in and out through the gate. And so there was, sometimes these, these pins would be situated on rocky cliffs. Sometimes they were in places where you had to be careful when you came, make sure that the sheep would come out the right gate or not. And Jesus is telling them, "Is I'm the gate for the sheep. And you can imagine him standing there. Maybe there's a gate there next to him and he's pointing to it. He says, I'm the gate for the sheep. If people come in and out through me, if they follow me, what they 're going to find is that i 'm going to give them pasture, and i 'm going to take them to places where they 're fed and they 're filled up there 's a psalm that talks about that. How many of you know the twenty third psalm? "The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want." It talks about leading beside still waters and green pastures and walking through us, walking beside us when we walk through the shallow shadow of the valley of death, the dangerous and scary times in life. Jesus is there, or God is there. And Jesus is saying, here, I'm the gate. Come walk through with me, and I will show you the direction to go. And a few verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his sheep. And he goes on to talk about how there's hired hands don't do that. So you can imagine somebody that, that has, has a lot of sheep says, man, I can't watch all these sheep. I need to hire somebody to be able to come and to watch these sheep for me. Find somebody, pay somebody to come and watch, watch those sheep. And then it's up in the, the mountains with these sheep, grazing, taking care of them. These sheep are wandering in and out. They're, they're eating. They're, they're doing their thing that sheep do. And then here comes the wolf. And this person who's a hired hand has a decision to make. Hmm, there's all these sheep that are here. And there's that wolf, and that wolf wants to eat all these sheep that are here. And if I get in the way, something might happen to me. I might get bit. I might get trampled by the sheep. I might have to run. I might have to do. I might have to get out of my comfort zone. I don't think I'm on board with that. And uh, maybe uh, because these aren't really my sheep, I'm just going to run. And he runs. And Jesus says, "I'm not like that. I am a sheep, a shepherd. Excuse me. I'm a shepherd." that lays down his life for his sheep. And I found this picture uh, several years ago, and I, I appreciate it and I like it, because you, what do you think that guy smells like? Sheep? Maybe. But you get the impression, you watch him, as he's been around a while. He cares for those sheep. He's going to walk with them. He's going to take care of them. And Jesus is telling the people that are there listening, He said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that will walk by you. I'm the one that is not going to bail the first sign of trouble. I'm the one that is going to, to be faithful. I'm the one that is going to be strong. And I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of. And I'm, I'm there. I'm with you. I'm not going to abandon you. And that's what it means for Jesus to be the good shepherd. He's going to protect us. Look at the next one. This is would be number five. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And Jesus makes this statement when he has gotten word that his good friend Lazarus has passed away. And Jesus makes his way back with his disciples. And Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. Makes his way back to that area and there's weeping and there's mourning. And Jesus has this conversation uh, with the sisters and, and says, Do you believe Lazarus is going to raise? I know, I know he's going to raise in the last day. I know all of that. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. That is one of the tough things that happens in life when we have someone that we know, someone that is close to us, passes away. And sometimes there's, there's events where someone passes away that we don't even know, but it touches us deeply because of the, the circumstances. And it's hard and it's difficult. And Jesus is saying here is that, if people will walk with me, even though they die, they still live. Man, what an, what an example, what an amazing thing here that Jesus is telling us, is that even though we pass away in this life, that's not the end of it. There's something much, much greater. Jesus has power over death, which he's going to demonstrate as he raises from the dead after he's crucified. The next statement in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, Jesus, this happens as Jesus, probably in the context, if you read John, in the context of the Lord's Supper, and he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is after he's washed his disciples' feet, after they've had the the argument about who is the greatest, and Jesus says, let me show you who the greatest is. I'm going to wash all your feet. That's what greatness is about. And he shares this here says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that there is uh our world, just like in Jesus' world, everybody had different opinions on how you come to God, how you do this, how what what it meant to, to live a spiritual life, all of that sort of thing. But Jesus makes a very clear statement. You come through me to get to God, or you don't come at all. Think about it in like this. Um there is a uh, If there was two cities on either side of a swamp and there was a road that led to the middle of the swamp and the rest of it was was nasty and and full of water and there was nowhere to drive at all and you're driving down that road and you know that is the one way to get to the other city, are you going to drive off into the swamp and try to create your own way? Probably not. None of us are going to do that. And that's Jesus' point here is that there may be people talk about all sorts of different ways to come to God but it's me. It's through me. And a relationship with me is the only way to get there. Now, this is a statement that is exclusive and it's difficult. But Jesus makes it because of who he is. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. Number seven, John 15, 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. One of my neighbors had a tree here recently that was that was overgrown, and there was branches that were hanging out all over the place, over the sidewalk. And so he went outside and he cut those branches down and trimmed that tree back and had a pile of them right between his yard and my yard. And we were, I was looking at that, and I noticed when those branches were cut the first day, the leaves on them were green and looked like they could be just put right back on that tree. But you know, what did the leaves look like three days later? They were brown and they were dead and they were falling off. Because when a branch is separated from the tree and the roots um, that make it grow, then it dies. And Jesus is saying, if you get separated from me, then you don't, pass, you, you don't make it. But my Father, anybody who does not bear fruit, who's not bearing the spiritual fruit that Jesus talks about, fruit of the Spirit, if we don't bear that fruit, then ultimately we get cut off from, from God and His people. And not only that, he says that even people who do bear fruit, God is continually pruning us to make us more fruitful. How many of you have ever had apple trees or fruit trees? If you just let them wild, they just they go crazy, and they end up not being very productive. We have to get in there. We have to prune those branches back so that they can be productive and they can produce more fruit. And those times of pruning are difficult. Uh, there's, uh, there's times where we have to go through different things in life, or God allows us to walk through different things in life that prune us and that change us and that help us become more of what He wants us to be. Um, you know what I'm talking about there? How many of you have gone through times of pruning in your life where you had to come face to face with some of your own sin and own shortcomings, and it was hard? But God did that to bring you to a place where you are now to be more fruitful. And that's what Jesus is telling His disciples here. Is that the father, father is the gardener. Continue to stick with me. The pruning happens, but it's going to be good because God wants you to produce lots of really, really good fruit. Okay, this is number seven. So when you, we, I'm going to go backwards and we're going to walk through this again really quickly because I want us to note something here. John chapter uh, 6.35, Jesus says, I am the bread, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. If we walk through life feeling like we're always looking for something else and we're missing out on, on something, then the reality is, is we probably don't know Jesus very well. John chapter 8.12, the light of the world, if we continue to stumble around and we feel like, man, I'm just always stepping on spiritual Legos in the middle of the night because I don't see them there, then it's important for us to learn to know Jesus. John 10.9, if we um, are continually trying to walk to God under our own power, our own way, and, and doing things our own way, and not doing things God's way, and it's not working for us, then you need to remember, Jesus is the gate. If we are walking through life, and you feel like I'm walking all alone, and there's, I just feel like I'm, I'm terrified, I'm scared, I'm living, I'm worrying all the time, I'm living with all this type of anxiety then maybe we need to remember that Jesus is the Good Shepherd that is there walking alongside us, and we need to give some things to Him. If we walk through life and we think, man, I am continually afraid of death, I'm continually afraid of all these things that are happening around me, what's important to remember is that Jesus is the resurrection. He's got power over all that kind of stuff, so we can live differently. We don't have to fear things that the rest of the world does. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this should up our game to help us remember that, man, I can try to do things my own way again, but Jesus' way is the only way that works. And so I'd, I better do things that way. Even when I don't agree, even when I don't understand it, if I see something in the Scripture that convicts me, then I need, to, I need to submit to that. I need to walk that way. John 15, 1 and 2, I'm the true vine. My Father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it, I, it will be even more fruitful. In our times of pruning, do we resist and do we fight with God or do we submit to him and turn to him and say, all right, God, I know you're pruning me, I know you're working in me right now, and I'm excited about what you're creating in me. All of those things I think are helpful for us to remember. But here is number eight. Okay? Another phrase that is usually not included in, in the I Am statements of John John 8, 58. What's happened here is the religious leaders in, in Jesus are having this discussion. Who are you and by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus is trying to explain. He's trying to tell them. And they aren't hearing anything. It's la, 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 la. And they're just, just in this debate with Jesus here. Jesus makes a comment as they say, Who, who do you think you are? Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus says something here, and he's not just using poor grammar. It isn't because he he forgot his his Greek tenses as he's talking to these people, or, or Aramaic, or whatever he would have been speaking at that point in time. But centuries beforehand, when Moses was walking around, being a shepherd, at about 80 years old, I wonder if he's walking along thinking about, man, I was raised in the house of, of Pharaoh, I was considered a prince of Egypt, and I really thought that God was going to do something with me in order to try to, re, to bring my people out of Israel. That's why I killed that Egyptian all those years ago. And I just, it didn't work out, I ran, and here I am, wandering around the last 40 years or so in the desert. And... Um, and God didn't use me the way I anticipated. God didn't do the things with me that I hoped. I, I'd hoped that that, um, that things would be different. This is not the, the life that I signed up for, not the things that I dreamed of. And why on earth do I know those different languages that I was taught years ago in Pharaoh's household? They're rusty, and I don't speak them very well anymore. But all that experience for me to just wander around and hang out with sheep over the last 40 years, I just wonder what on earth God, God was thinking or who this, I just, I don't know. And then he looks up on the hillside and he sees something up there and thinks, huh, that's kind of weird. There's there's something on fire up there. I'm going to go check it out. He goes up and there's this bush that is on fire. And he looks at it and he notices it's not burning up. And he walks up and he hears a voice that says, Moses, the place that you're standing is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And he takes his sandals off and God starts speaking to him. And in essence says, Moses, it's time. I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and I'm going to use you to send my people, take them out of captivity. And Moses says, all right, God, that's good. I've been waiting for 40 years for this. Let's do this, right? (laughs) If you read through Genesis chapter 3, that's not what Moses does. He comes up with all these sort of excuses. He says, well, I'm not sure about all this. Finally, just says, I just don't want to go. Can you send somebody else? And God says, I'm telling you, you need to go. Okay? Those clear and specific calls of God, you don't mistake. Okay? Moses did not have to walk away from th- this thinking, huh, I wonder if that was a call of God or not. You know, he knew. That was very clear. It was very, very evident and very obvious to him that God was calling him to go now. But one of the things he, he, tried, he tried during this, this discussion with God to try to, to, to get out of going he says, God, I just, but I don't know your name. How, what if they ask me what your name is? What am I going to say to them? And Moses, growing up in Egypt, he knew how the Egyptian gods functioned or how the Egyptians' understanding of them functioned. So that they would not speak their name to anyone because if they spoke their name to anyone, they lost power. That was part of how their power was contained and they knew their name. And they didn't tell anybody else their name. So the Egyptians referred to their gods by nicknames. They just didn't know what their real name was. So Moses says, how can I go back to Egypt if I don't know your name? Moses is trying to be sly here. What he's trying to do is say, there's no way on earth that this god is going to tell me his name. And I get out of it. This is going to work great. And God responds and says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I'm the one who is So Moses doesn't get out of going to Egypt. He ends up having to go. Because God is just fine with telling people who he is. He doesn't have to worry about losing power. He's willing to reveal himself. In fact, he wants to reveal himself to others so that we can follow him. And so when Jesus is standing, centuries later, with the religious leaders and they're saying, By whose power are you doing these things? Jesus says, Before Abraham was born, I am. And they respond by, Blah! Ah, They pick up stones to stone him, and Jesus just disappears and and leaves the area. Because what Jesus told them, right here, he said, I am the God who created the world. I am the God who appeared to Moses. I am the same God. I am right here. And when you read through Scripture, John talks about this a lot. You see the, the letters talk about this. Jesus can say all of these things. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. He can say all of those things. And it's different than just being a spiritual religious leader of some point in time. Because if what Jesus says is true, He is the very God who created the world, the only real God that came down in the flesh to show us what God was about. And because of that, because of who Jesus is... When he says, I am something, it should change us because it, it, it indicates something about who he is. Okay, hey, I want to walk through something else before we close. And we're going to have some um, uh, there's, uh, elders have a, a couple of uh, people to pray over as we finish up this morning. But think about this. Something I learned when I went through, oh, I was going to have my, I was going to pull out my guided research project and bring it out and show it to you. But there's two things that I said when I graduated from college the first time during graduation or, or immediately afterwards one of my friends and I were talking. So there's two things I'm not going to do in life. I'm not going to go back to school and I'm not going to write a book. Within a couple of years I was back in school and part of my research project was to write a, um, a, a study on how churches military communities. And I was in Great Falls at the time and that seemed like something that was going to be helpful. 123 pages of pure joy that I wrote uh, as a for my master's program and maybe one of the greatest things I learned from that project is that the, the method of study that I used was called a case study and what that means is you ask different, in this case, different churches, what are they doing and I compile the information and something that it was very helpful for me and maybe the greatest thing I learned from that whole project is that the questions we ask make all the difference in the world for what answers we get. Because if I want research to show something that I already believe, then I can ask questions to lead people that direction. But if I want to know what's really there and what they really think or what's really happening, I have to ask the questions in such a way that are neutral so that the the truth comes out. So here's a question that was asked at one point in time. When Jesus is, is on trial, about to be crucified... He tells Pilate, the Roman governor, he says, everyone on the truth, side of truth, listens to me. And Pilate's response is, <laughs> what is truth? You know, and, and he asks this in a way, as, as I read that, is he's thinking, oh, you two, uh, here we are. You think that you got the truth figured out, all that as well. Okay, whatever. Let's jump in line. Whoever's next. You know, we all have our answers about what is, what is truth. But I found that when there's something that's fundamentally wrong with this question, or at least incomplete, I wouldn't say wrong, it's incomplete. When we ask what is truth, I believe we're ultimately missing out on something. And the answers that we may come up with is checklists and what do I need to do here or there. You know. I think this is ultimately what the religious leaders started asking. They started asking, okay, what is truth? How do we get into God's word and what is true and what is, how, do we, how do we walk through this? But they forgot the bigger question that was much more important that God wanted them to ask from the beginning of time, that the Jews of Jesus' day oftentimes forgot to ask or lost it. And Jesus came and showed something different. You remember, Paul, Acts chapter 9, he sees Jesus there on the road to Damascus. He's blinded. He asks another question. He asks, Who are you, Lord? Or, Who is truth? and i found that that is a much more important question for us to ask because as jesus is showing here the what is not as important as the who because there's there's always the what to divide up and try to figure out what am i supposed to be doing today what am i supposed to be doing tomorrow all that sort of thing and we wrestle with those things daily but if we don't ask the better question who is truth who are you lord then ultimately, we're going to live life with a bunch of checklists and be disappointed because we've forgotten who is most important. I want to read one more thing. Go to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one, and this is as Paul is is writing to the Ephesians here, and he's sharing with them. If you read the, if if you're disappointed about uh, the things that. Uh, life and, and you just don't think that you have it very good, read the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul walks through point by point the good, amazing things and blessings that we're given in Christ. And read them slowly. Ephesians 1 is one of those you can't read quickly. you got to read slowly. A part of what he says here in chapter one, verse 15, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And. Paul could have prayed for all sorts of different things for the people of Ephesus. He could have prayed that they would, would avoid temptation, or they would, which is good, they could have avoided persecution, which you don't see the early Christians praying for as much. They prayed for court courage during those times. He could have prayed for all sorts of different things, and he does. But the thing that jumps out to me is he said, I pray that you will know God better. Because there's something that happens when we read through the Gospels and we decide. I really want to know Jesus. I want to know what he is about. I want to understand what makes him tick. I want to understand what why did he why is he upset with the religious leaders but he's not with others? What what is it about Jesus? I want to really know Jesus. I want to understand his heart. When we ask that question, then God leads us into places that are phenomenal and amazing and we understand what it means to live out the abundant life of Jesus because we Go beyond what? The checklists. And we get embraced by the who. By Jesus, who walks us through everything in life and provides that light that guides us in everything. So I encourage all of us, myself and and, and everyone, is make that commitment and, and recommit to being a community, to being individuals that say, I really want to know who Jesus is, and that's what I'm going to be about in this life. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to to head to the back. The elders will be back there to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.